You're entering the MSP Zone, a podcast for the managed services community, covering news, analysis, and interviews from around the globe. Elevate your MSP game by staying in the MSP Zone. And now, your host, Charles Weaver. Welcome to the MSP Zone. We are very honored to have with us a, a special guest uh, to be talking to us about where are organizations most vulnerable to cyber attack. And we don't just have any guest uh, with us today. We actually have someone who has spent a great uh, career in the uh, U.S. Army in the intelligence community, if I can call it that, um, also in the private sector uh, doing uh various work in, in managed services organizations, and then ultimately where he is now, which is as um, uh, president of the uh, federal division of PCmatic, uh, which many of you out there in the MSP world know PCmatic as uh, makers of technology and software used by MSPs uh, to deliver a lot of great security-related services to customers. And I am uh, very privileged uh, to have with us on the MSP Zone, Mr. Terry McGraw. Terry, welcome to the program. Charles, thank you very much, man. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, no, no. I'm really thrilled about this. Um, you, you've got a, I, I suppose for people you know, out there who, who are maybe familiar with PCmatic but don't necessarily know what you guys do at the federal division of PCmatic. Why don't you give us a quick tour of, of what you've been up to for your last, you know, what, 20 or 30 years in the military and, and, and to where you are today, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, really quickly in a nutshell. So I, I uh, enlisted as a, as a young paratrooper uh, many eons ago. I, I did a total of 27 years. Um, along the way, I got uh, commissioned as an officer. And, uh, and late in my career, I got picked up um, in, in cyber warfare and counterintelligence. And I spent probably the last decade of my career doing that for organizations uh, like NETCOM, Army Cyber, and the NSA, um, and, and did several tours abroad in the Middle East uh, with, you know, as, as of course, with our combat operations there. Um, I retired in 2014, and uh, I was picked up by a, a great company called Dell SecureWorks. Uh, I still love them very much. Um, and they are an MSSP. Uh, one of the larger MSSPs, and uh, and I ran all of their security operation centers, uh, cyber threat research and analysis for the company uh, for six years. Um, and and I arrived at PCmatic, I guess about four months ago. Um, you know, Rob and I had talked, and and Rob Chang, who's the owner and and CEO of PCmatic, we we share the DNA of wanting to really help people. I mean, a lot of what my military career was driven by was. Was trying to protect those that couldn't protect themselves, and then you know extending that in when I, into the cybersecurity world, I did it commercially. And at the end of the day, we truly do believe this is about protecting people. Um, you know, people's livelihoods, uh, their financial well-being, um, you know, the integrity of of what they do, and we, we all live interconnected lives. And and Rob, um, you know, has, has a long history in the consumer space. You've all seen his commercials. Um, he wanted to extend that further up the chain into the enterprise um, and even more so into the municipal uh, government and federal government. And, and he was kind of uh, several things sort of came to be, at, you know, in a very short period of time. His kid's school was hit by ransomware uh, and rightfully so. You're full of righteous indignation because, you, you, you know, your children 
you know, and where they go to school is, is kind of one of those, you know, it's, it, it feels sacrosanct, right? You know, yeah. you, you, kids, kids in the environment that they are in should not be victims of any kind of criminal activity, right? You, you want to live in that bubble if you can. And, and so he was very incensed about it. And as he started to peel back the onion, what, what he realized is that, it, you know, much like other enterprise uh, environments serviced by the MSP community, um, the organizations don't necessarily have the maturity to, to make um, security sort of part of their business operation. And, and what he really wanted to do is, could he take the consumer product that, that's been highly effective, build out an enterprise version so it could be extended across the network? Um, that worked very well. Uh, and that serviced the MSP market, um, as you all well know. Uh, and then, you know, the, the federal government started to look at whitelisting capability as an, an additional layer of security for high security environments. Uh, and as you may or may not know, PCMatic is is predicated on whitelisting. That's that's the security layer that it, that it does. And so um, it provided a unique opportunity to also take that capability uh, and add it into the federal government's uh, security architecture. And so um, Rob and I sort of, you know, intersected and um, I thought it was a pretty intriguing operation and I, I, I liked what they were doing. Uh, and so I wanted to bring my expertise to PCMatic to help, uh, to help a expand their, their markets in the enterprise, uh, and, and help with the, uh, the inroads into the federal government. Well, uh, Thank you for your service. 27 years, that's a long time uh, in, in the Army. I uh, appreciate that. And I, I, I want to get back to the whitelisting uh, because I think that that's important for, for MSPs. But I, I, I'd like to kind of separate our discussion, at least initially, to, you know, to practical versus, you know, and I want to get to practical at the end, but I want to start off with in your, in your government uh, slash, you know, military experience and then with Dell Secure Works, which certainly operates at a much higher level than than your average MSP or or small business. Sure. I, I wanted to talk about just generally the the, the topic or title of our, our our session today, which is, you know, the the where are organizations vulnerable? And you you must have some incredible stories. I don't want you to, you know, get into classified territory or get into trouble, but you know, where would you say as we are in mid to approaching now, you know, you know, almost the end of third quarter 2020, where are organizations most vulnerable today in terms of, you know, just all the cyber threats that you've, you know, to be out there? Yeah. You know, the sad thing is, unfortunately, um, the answer to that hasn't changed all that much in, in, in several years. I, you know, I speak at RSA and Gartner, at least we did when we had RSA and Gartner conferences. Uh, and I talked about, you know, cyber threat landscape trends um, as we saw them, uh, you know, over the previous year. And, and sadly, what, you know, continues to happen and, and, the, and uh, the breaches that take place, you know, continue to follow the same trend lines, which is disconcerting to say the least. But, but I guess the first thing I would say is um, when you're a victim of, you know, cyber crime or, you know, a, a, an exploit activity, you tend to, you, you do take it personally, but you tend to think of it as you know, an individual actor um, and, and it's affected your individual in, environment. And whereas that's true, um, you do yourself a disservice by thinking of it in terms of just bad actors. What, what we see is a, a completely global underground economy 
that that has the same capitalistic endeavors that that everyone else does. It's the fastest path to monetization, and uh, and the cyber crime trends we see are directly related to techniques that that help them monetize their criminal activity. And sadly, right now, I mean, the things that have changed in the cyber threat landscape is the ease of access to tools that eight years ago you know, took a lot of tradecraft to develop. I mean, like exploit kits that, you know, had to be handcrafted by, by skilled adversaries. These are all now tools that can be freely rented. You can lease infrastructure, you can lease ransomware, you can lease, you know, malware of all, all types. Uh, you can lease the, the, you know, the currency exchanges that you're going to anonymize your ransom. And at the end of the day, it's got wholesalers, retailers, it's even got venture capitalists uh, in, in, in the form of nation state actors uh, to obviate some of their, or excuse me, obfuscate some of their activity. So, so when I talk about the cyber threat landscape, I think it's healthy for all of us to understand that what we're dealing with in, in effect is a near peer competitor to our commercial space. Um, we don't like it and it, and it sucks. And I, and I can't stand, you know, bullies and, and folks, uh, you know, who, who create victims of their fellow citizens. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. And we have to understand that it isn't just a series of bad actors. Um, but you can break down the cyber threat landscape into categories, right? So, so generally speaking, um, and I'll start with the highest end first. At the, at the high, high end, you have nation state actors. These are folks that with geopolitical, um, you know, um, uh, desires. So there's either nation state espionage, there's, you know, kinetic warfare that we've seen, you know, Russia engaging with Georgia um, and, and, you know, throughout the Middle East. Um, and so th th those are the, the forays of nation states and, and the desires that nation states have competing in a geopolitical environment. Um, the the chances of you at any given organization um, getting uh, attacked by a nation state actor is directly proportioned to what you may do or your relationships with those that have something of value to a nation state. So if you're in the energy sector, for example, um, you may raise that, that level of, of, of uh, footprint. If, uh, if you're involved in biomedical research and, you know, during the COVID outbreak, you, you vaccine. Yeah, exactly. Vaccination. If you're involved in higher forms of education that deal with any of those topics, uh, you could find yourself in that. So I, I like to say that you, you're probably, you know, when, when you look at 100% of the activity that happened last year, um, less than 9% uh, could be attributed positively to a nation state threat group, right? And so, but I mean, there's a tremendous amount of crap that goes on, don't get me wrong, but but the reality is there, those are very targeted, very specific campaigns for a very specific reason as a nation state. And quite honestly, if the nation state actor wants to get in your environment, they're going to get in. Um, it's a matter of trying to detect and 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 to remove them. Uh, but you know, as a guy who worked in an intelligence agency, I'll tell you that you're you're not going to you know be able to thwart your way out of that. But but the, the good news is the vast majority of us don't have that problem, right? Um, if you're not a global energy company, you're not a global bio, you know, pharma. Um, you're probably not going to fall into into that space. Now, that doesn't mean that advanced tradecraft doesn't get commoditized very quickly, which it does. Um, it just means that that the the amount of, of extirpating an adversary from your environment is, is a lot easier with drive-by ransomware e-crime than it is if, if it's a targeted campaign against you. Sure. And then in, in the other portion that we see is the insider threat. Um, and when I say insider, I'm talking about malicious insider. This is not someone doing something stupid. This is someone who woke up and said, I'm going to get, get you, um, you know, as a person of their employee. 
Um, and that's a very small percentage as well. Um, and you know, when the malicious insider does damage, it, it can be pretty significant, but again, fortunately it's a pretty small preponderance. Now these things are sexy to talk about, which is why a lot of threat and tell feeds and all that talk about the nation state actors and, and their trade craft. They talk about the malicious insider. Um, you know, but if you looked at the matrix between probability, you know, impact and likelihood, um, that's on the really high impact scale, but also very, very low on the likelihood scale. And so then let's move into the 80% the category, which is commoditized e-crime. Uh, and the vast preponderance of that is ransomware. Why? Well, because again, it's the fastest path to monetization. Um, ransomware uh, takes out all the middlemen. You know, before we had banking Trojans, so you'd, you'd steal credit card data and financial data, but, but that had to be laundered. And, and money laundering involves mules and transactional um, things. You know, so if I steal credit card numbers, I then have to convert them into blank credit cards. And then I have to have, send someone into a store to convert that to cash or buy gift card. It's a laundering process that happens. And, and banks and financial institutions fortunately gotten very good at detecting that kind of activity when breaches do occur. Um, and that's why you get all your fraud alerts from your bank. So th that's the good news story. The bad news is... Um, ransomware came to be because uh, it, it took out all that middleman, took out that laundering. I now get in your environment. I had, I hijack you uh, and you either pay me or I, I, you know, decimate your environment. Um, and, and so that's highly problematic because in large cases it is, I, I want to call them like your drive-by shootings of the internet. You're on the internet, ergo you're vulnerable. Um, um, and the degree to which you're vulnerable also depends on the architectural defenses that you bring to bear against that. Um, and uh, the good news again is that, uh, that it's not, it's not hard, um, to thwart the drive-by commoditized e-crime, um, if you take it, you know, as a deliberate portion of your, of your business, um, uh, operations. Uh, if you leave it to chance or you leave it to a point product or you leave it to, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, hope. And we all like to say in the military, hope is not a course of action. Um, the likelihood of a successful ransomware attack goes up dramatically. Um, but, but the vectors for ransomware, you know, have stayed, stayed remarkably consistent over the last couple of years. I mean, sadly spear phishing and, and phishing type emails are still a, a large vector. Uh, the second largest vector is open RDP, remote desktop protocol. It should be something all MSPs know really well because yep. you all use it some either a VNC or an RMM or or even maybe you know the 3389 port itself doing remote desktop. Um, those types of of operations leave a lot of organizations open, uh, and there's a significant preponderance of ransomware that exploits that, is particularly port 3389. Um, and so if it's left unmonitored or, or open, boom, it, you know, it, you're, there goes your defensive perimeter. Um, the other thing I think, uh, you know, so you, you've always got the social engineering part and we're, we're human and unfortunately social engineering still works, right? I mean, you know, so I like to say that if you're an organization, you got to look at business process and technology, um, you know, technologies that help defend the environment that you're looking at, um, you also need to have a process in place to verify the technology is working and then you have to train your people. And I'll give you a great example, business email compromise. Business email compromise still, um, it, it loses millions of dollars a year. Um, and it's, it's, it's a social engineering attack. attack. It, is, it is someone spoofing your email, pretending to be you, you're a CEO, for example, 
Um, and the CEO sends an email to the finance department and says, hey, I'm in the middle of a merger and acquisition discussion that's under NDA. I need to be very quiet. I need you to wire X amount of dollars to this account. And it's signed you know, by the CEO. Um, and unfortunately, the, you know, the finance department looks at it, sees it's from the, you know, the, the CEO, it's got the CEO signature on it and they push send. Um, the process comes into place is like, you should always do a two-party verification, right? Like business, most business email compromise could be thwarted with, with just a simple process check. Um, you know, should you have a, a sandboxing capability on your email? Yeah, absolutely should. You should not just randomly have things come into your environment. So there are things you can do, but it's the triumvirate of, of people, process, and technology that you need to bring to bear to thwart that. Um, so the, what, what I, I guess that was a long way of saying that the trends, unfortunately, have stayed pretty consistent. I think what's what's changed dramatically is that our cyber vulnerability footprint is much, much wider with Bring Your Own Device. Um, we've we've extended the footprint well outside the normal business perimeter. Um, we're introducing that risk from you know at home workers and all kinds of IoT devices that that are now you know points of access into your environment. Um, and the other thing that's that's happening is is the speed at which you know rants of like what what used to be like tradecraft. I develop a tool for a specific purpose. The speed by which that becomes a commodity on the dark web is frighteningly short, um, you know. And the other thing that's also interesting about this is the dwell time for adversaries is still very long, meaning, you know, they, they get a footprint in, but then they, they, a successful ransomware attack is absolutely dependent on their ability to enumerate your environment. Like they, they want to lock down your backups. They want to crosswalk through as much of their environment as they can in practical terms so that when they do launch the ransomware, it locks up so much of your business that you're compelled to pay. And then they try to make it really easy for you to pay. Well, um, but that's sort of the, the th cyber threat landscape that you're in. And so, the, the, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, I know I'm going off. If you want to interject, please do. But the last part I'd say is that you, you have the nation state actors, you have commoditized e-crown, which is the vast majority. You have the insider threat, which is a very small minority. And then you have your hacktivists. I mean, hacktivists just want to break things for attention. The, the whole idea is, you know, unlike nation state actors who want to be as stealthful as possible to avoid detection, hacktivists want to be as loud and proud as they can to draw attention to their cause. Um, and so depending on where you sit, depending on what your business participates in and, and whom you bu do business with, right? it's not sufficient enough just to look at you and what you have and what your keys to the kingdom are. You really do have to look at like, to whom do I service? Like, who, who are my business partners that I may be a vector for? Um, you know, Target was uh, compromised by an HVAC vendor, right? So, so I think it's important for us to look at the the interconnectedness of our partners as well for both what we represent to them and what they represent to us as far as as intrusion vectors. But it sounds like uh, you did a, an excellent job of articulating the different tiers of of the of, of where the threats are coming from, the vectors, as you put it. An average MSP probably doesn't have clients that would be uh, attractive to a nation state group, but it's not unlikely. But it sounds like the eighty percent is really where most MSPs are going to find themselves, which is. They, they can't, and by extension, they must convince their customers, if I'm hearing you correctly, they must convince them that the 80% of, of attackers coming at them are just simply want the money and they're not going to discriminate, which on the one hand, it makes it kind of predictable. I think I heard you say that. It's the, 
their mm-hmm. motives are predictable, but also the they're easily defended. Uh, that's another thing I took away is that yeah. there's there's hope. Is is that yep, too much absolutely. to say? Yeah. No, no, it's, it's it's absolutely true. You know, it's it's the old joke. You don't have to outrun the bear; you just have to outrun the guy next to you, right? I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> it's it, it's making yourself. Um, a hardened target, you don't have to be impenetrable. Like, you know, the old Murphy's law of combat, if your perimeter is so good that the adversary can't get in, you can't get out. Right. So, um, you know, we do business on the internet. We, we do have a level of risk exposure that, that is just inherent to doing business in today's environment. So you can't protect everything at all times for, for all threats. What you can do though, is, is, do a very good job at protecting yourself against the most likely threats for where you sit. And, and that is exactly commoditized e-crime in the form of ransomware. And it is by, by most standards, easy to defend against if you do the basic blocking and tackling of hygiene. Um, there is hope. It's not overwhelming. I will say though, it's not, it's not cyber for cyber's sake. This is a business risk, right? I mean, the Absolutely. average ransom, Last year, according to the FBI, was $63,000. Now, the companies that the MSPs service, $63,000 of unplanned outlay just so they can stay in business um, will usually put small businesses under. Um, you know, And that's not including the remediation costs. That's sixty-three grand of ransom. Yeah. That's not all of the things it would take to bring you back to business. It's the opportunity cost that you've lost while you've been out of business, um, you know, yada, yada. The, the, it adds up very, very quickly. And so what we're really talking about is business risk. This isn't just, you know, cybersecurity, which is a little esoteric and hard for a lot of folks to understand. But if you're a small business, this is a life or death situation. Um, not many people can afford that level of cash outlay at small business. Um you know, I have a small consulting gig on the side. I will tell you that I could not sustain a sixty-three thousand dollars loss if I got hit with ransomware. Not to mention the reputational damage sure. that goes on for the, that, that kind of thing. So, so the stakes are high, but they're not insurmountable. And I, and again, it's basic blocking and tackling, a really good understanding of the infrastructure and and what you really have to protect against. You know, I, I see a lot of companies trying to go buy the the biggest, the brightest, the most expensive tool because they've been convinced if they, you know, they buy this, this, this huge appliance, it's going to solve the issue. The reality is there are no panaceas. If anybody tells you there are, they're lying to you. Um, and, and you don't want to spend a ton of money for a covering a part of the cyber threat landscape that you don't fit in. Uh, and B, your people don't have the skills to completely use anyway, right? Like why buy this huge expensive appliance that takes a lot of skill sets to use and it's really hard to implement, maintain and operate um, when what you could have done is some basic blocking and tackling and coverage and the enumeration of your network, like like understanding truly what comprises your network, what it is you're, you're providing IT services to and, and what you best do to defend that. I think lack of understanding of the environment is one of the biggest problems that we still suffer from. So, uh, I mean, this, this, I, I'm every, every second you're talking, I'm thinking of like a million other questions to a- ask you, but it seems like, and I'd like your perspective on this over the last 24 months, let's say that we have made incredible strides with, and p- predominantly due to, you know, from celebrities having their phones hacked to, you know, some, some fairly noteworthy things that have happened over the last several years culminated pre-pandemic in most people being aware of cyber threats. 
did we get to a point where we suddenly realized that cyber threats are there? And then what happened after the pandemic? As And I, you alluded to it, I think, in your earlier statement, which is that the now work remote work from home model, which all these businesses went to almost overnight, what new attack vectors has that opened up for MSPs to, to be aware of? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and so the answer is, I think people are aware of cyber threat. I mean, it's pop culture, as you alluded to. It's, you know, the Mr. Robot show. It's, it, there's a whole lot of things that took, you know, the, the kid in the hoodie to the, to the front in Hollywood. And then Hollywood is, is played in the, in the bringing it, you know, to the, the sexy limelight. Um, but, but awareness doesn't necessarily mean understanding. Um, I, I think that the challenge is, um, Truly understanding network architectures and defense thereof are still pretty esoteric skill sets. Um, you know, I laugh a little bit, and I've used this analogy before. Like a proctologist and a neurologist are both doctors, but you don't want them doing a high five in the middle of surgery, right? Um, it's <laughs> and and so it's it's kind of true in in the cyberspace. Like folks that that are great in operating, um, uh, you know, the network portion of it may not be as skilled in cyber forensics as they need to be or in cyber threat hunting or detection of malicious trends, right? And so we rely on tools, et cetera. Um, so I think then in some respects, whereas we still have awareness, finding highly skilled, qualified people to make sense of that environment and defend against it, I think is still a, a problem that we face. The, but on the good news is um, awareness, you know, it's like the old Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, admitting you have a problem is the first step. Um, so, so, uh, where was I going with all that? Uh, I apologize. Um, you asked a very specific question. It, it was more about like work from home and whether or not there's a oh, yeah, new yeah. attack vector that's yeah. opened up. It's, it's, it's not new. It's extending the problem. So what we, you know, the perimeter is, is, is disappeared. And, and so what we've done is in most businesses, at least had had a, a semblance of an idea of what their threat risk was based on the devices that people would access in a controlled environment. Um, even if they had a remote sales force, you know, you, generally speaking, there were some controls around that sales force and what they could access. Um, now a lot of companies that, that never had prepared for remote workforce had everybody working remote. And so, um, people were using their own devices at home to log in. Um, and we did a, you know, PCmatic did a, a, a survey of like 6,000 individuals that, that, uh, that, that worked remotely that didn't before. And, and less than 30% of them were given any type of tool to protect their home environment. So antivirus, VPN, um, some ability to, 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 to manage or monitor your environment. Now, the, the, it gets tricky, right? Because with a, with a personally owned device that's accessing a corporate environment, the lines become very blurred as to what um, a business has access to on the person's device, right? You, yep. you can't violate individual privacy, um, but you need to have some controls put in place to make sure that they're not introducing, you know, a, a vulnerability. So th the good news is you just treat everything like it's compromised. And I've said this for a while, just assume that any device touching your environment is dirty. And, and so then we get into architectural discussions. Like, what do you do about that? Well, so you control the access to the data, you segment to the greatest extent you possibly can. You have multi-factor authentication um, so that if you, you, know, you do have a compromised home user, um, 
those credentials are much more difficult to use if there's multi-factor authentication involved. You know, it's the simplest and most effective thing to do uh, is multi-factor authentication for every every everything that your employees would access. Uh, and it's saddened to me that here we are in 2020, heading into 2021, and that's not just a standard. Like, I mean, it, 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 the fact that, that municipalities still get slacked over really, really simple, ridiculous passwords with no multi-factor authentication, um, to me, it's almost malfeasance. Right. Um, and so, so there are things you can do, uh, you know, making sure that your employees have a VPN, um, you know, so that at least, they, you know, there isn't corporate eavesdropping going on or um, ensuring that they've got a solid, give them free antivirus if they don't already have it. And don't assume that everyone knows what, what they should have. Um, you know, we all have families and we all have families that where they call you up because you're the closest thing to the IT help desk they have. Um, it, it's not a good assumption to, that, that your employees have a, a good, clean environment from which they work from and that they haven't downloaded something on a web browser or an app that's fishy. Um, it's, it's just assume that they did. Uh, and so the controls have to be on the data access side and, and what they're accessing um, and make sure that you've got controls in place to limit that. So to make sure they have an antivirus, make sure that their systems, you know, that, that, they, that they have awareness about patching, give them a VPN solution. These are inexpensive things to provide them, but give you as a business the ability to help extend the security to, to their environment. Um, it, it, and it doesn't hurt to send home flyers. Like, here's the top 10 things you should do at home to help secure your environment. Training, um, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, um, it... And it, it it sounds like Terry that this. I mean, you you said it earlier, which is it. It doesn't take a lot to really bring up our defenses to a, a level where we could be fairly effective against the eighty percent. Right? We're not talking about the nation state twenty percent attacks, but it, it sounds like just with some good good basic education training and some some no nonsense tools, we could really make a significant difference pretty quickly. I mean, if not overnight, then over a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's not only tools, but it's really it, where are those tools best you know, placed and what's duplicative, what's not duplicative. Um, you know, have I done basic blocking and tackling in my net hygiene? You know, at the, at the end of the day, like if you looked at the eternal blue um, uh, exploits that were, were published and create all kinds of damage because of the SMBV1 um, uh, vulnerability, you know, that was one of the uh, suite. But, but that patch had been around 15 months. Like, so, I mean, you know, it's, and especially for the MSP community, understanding your assets that you're, you're responsible for, the patch management of that, the, those environments, locking down your ports and protocols uh, against unused. I mean, you're, you're trying to lower the vulnerability footprint to the greatest extent practicable um, for what you're responsible for. And believe it or not, those basic blocking and tackling are pretty damn effective in, in removing the commoditized e-crime from a threat. The problem is people still aren't doing that. Right. Um, they're, st they're still not patching. They're still not doing MFA. They're still not doing asset awareness. Um, they're still not controlling access to data. Um, it's just, it, it, these are things that we've known about, you know, since we started doing distributed computing. Um, but, but it's still, look, ransomware would go away tomorrow if we just, if, if we did, if we made it difficult, right? The problem is it, it, ransomware still exists because it's still effective. Yeah. Um, we're not raising the bar enough. And uh, and I, I don't think it's all that hard personally to raise a bar. It's not like, you know, China's coming after you or Russia's coming after the KGB. This is just, 
you know, literally someone who's renting malware on the on the dark web, re renting the infrastructure, schlacking every you know open port or server they can find on Shodan, uh, and and you become a victim, right? And, and it, it, it's it's not a lot you need to do to raise the bar enough that you're, you you don't get hit by the drive by. But as you said, if if we make it difficult enough, it's a business, right? You you I I like that concept. It's really easy to understand if you're if you're a small business owner that you you see the business of selling uh, prophylactic prophylactic preventative technologies for cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. You understand there's a there's an opposite number out there trying to break in, and it's a business just like we are a business. And if if we make it difficult enough, they're going to eventually go do something else. Um, we, we have a limited amount of time, and I, I, I want to get one last question in, and get your, your thoughts on this, which is we're, we're again, closing in on the end of, of Q3 2020, and we've got a lot of, you know, businesses are reopening still. We have a lot of, you know, work left to do with, with this uh, pandemic, but it, it seems like work from home is going to be here for a, a, a decent amount of time. What are your thoughts uh, for what we're looking at as, from a cyber attack uh, concept over the next 12 months or so? And, and, and what should companies and their MSPs be really looking out for and be vigilant for? Yeah, I, I think I, um, I'll, I'll just reiterate. Um, I believe that businesses are going to be subjected to, to adversarial activity that's introduced by people with completely undefended home networks, uh, not intentional, um, but there aren't the, the IT controls that they had that, that you know, an MSP would be responsible for or the, the company would be responsible for. And they haven't adequately defined an architecture that can help that. I mean, you know, i.e. implementing multi-factor authentication to critical systems, um, making sure that they have VPN, ensuring that, that your, your employees have a solid antivirus. And, 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 and there's lots of solutions out there. You know, I work for PCmatic. I recommend ours. We're a whitelisting solution. Um, we didn't talk about sort of the techniques involved, but but maybe we can do that again um, as far as what solutions you should probably go look for. Um, but you don't have to spend a fortune to get good security. That's the biggest lie right now. Um, and and B, if for MSPs and the, and the companies that you you support and, and that extended vulnerability that we now have, um, you, you don't need to spend a fortune of, on threat hunting software um, or appliances. Cause at the end of the day, that's a, your, your, your environments aren't that complex that you need that B that's after something's already happened. So now you're looking at, at forensically detecting or, or remediating or containing. Um, I, I focus on prevention in this, in the small enterprise space. Um, and, and why do I say that? Because, you know, you can't afford the cleanup. You need to be preventative and, and the barrier in that high. So, so make sure that your employees have that good antivirus or using a VPN, that they're patching their systems at home uh, and, and that they're educated that, that what they do at home does have an impact at the office. And you probably ought to have a, a conversation with your employees that talk about that. Um, you know, we, you're, you're working from home with that comes additional responsibilities and here what, here's what they are. And I think we need to redo all of our, you know, sort of user agreements and we need to talk about disaster recovery. We need to talk about, you know, security hygiene at home. All of those things we talked about, you know, sort of tangentially uh, before COVID 
now it, it absolutely has to happen. Uh, and we have to sort of start articulating some standards. If you're going to access a company corporate environment from a BYOD, uh, bring your own device, then this is the level of security that, that we're going to recommend that you have. And, and oh, by the way, we're going to help you pay for it um, if you want to protect your environment. Yeah, I, I, I think that this what you just said is so incredibly important. Um, I, I wish we had another hour and a half to, to spend with you. Terry, I'd love to have you back on the program in the future to, to continue our discussion because I, I think this is oh, really critical. Time. Yeah. Charles, I love doing this. I'm, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about this. I've spent you know the, my adult life doing this. And I, I really, really am passionate about protecting people. And so if you want me back, I am at your disposal, my friend. Well, I appreciate that, Terry. Um, unfortunately, folks, we are at the end of our allotted time. Um, go check out PCmatic. They're doing some really fantastic stuff um, you know, for, for MSPs and end-user organizations. But I, I hope you take some of the stuff to heart and, and, and listen to what Terry said because I think we can win this. We can make it – at least we can make this really – uh, not worth uh, their, the attacker's uh, time and money and hopefully drive them off into a, another line of business, whatever that looks like. But take care, everyone. We'll see you next time on the MSP Zone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a like. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you will get notified when future episodes are released. We will see you next time in the MSP Zone. MSP Zone.